Well, we are privileged once again to have Clint Wilkie with us to, to preach God's Word. Uh, in addition to having been a pastor for 20 years and planting churches, uh, one thing I forgot to mention last week is that he has a new role as the ministry coordinator for the Mid-South PCA Church Planting Network, which is uh, an agency that encourages and helps and trains and equips and and uh, furthers the cause of church planting uh, within the Mid-South area. And so it's a very important role uh, in our presbytery and in our area as as we seek to further the the kingdom of God by planting new churches. And so uh, it's something that he is passionate about and gifted at doing and coaching and encouraging those planters. So we're very thankful for him in that new role and very thankful to have you back with us again this morning, Clint. Thank you. Blessings. Well, good morning, Grace Community. It's, it's good to be with you again. And uh, four weeks of worshiping with you has been a real pr- pleasure. Thank you for your kindness and love to my family and welcoming me me here. I, I'm very grateful. Look forward to coming back and worshiping and sitting under Ashley's preaching. Glad his family's uh, getting moved in. Thank you for helping them move in. We'll be praying for them as they transition over the summer. So pray for the Duesenberries as well. And thank, thank you for your support uh, of the Mid-South Church Planting Network. We do believe that church planting is a vital need in the midst of our denomination to see new generations reached with the gospel. So we're very thankful that church planting and RUF are going together, even in our presbytery, to see the gospel go out. Now, let's jump back into our text that we've been looking at for a couple weeks, Luke chapter 19. It's printed in your worship bulletin, Luke 19. We're going to look at verses 1 to 10 this morning, we have been looking in little kind of vignettes of, of Zacchaeus's life. Uh, we, we considered the first time together, we, we talked about how eyes are looking for a kingdom, particularly Zacchaeus climbing up into a tree and looking and hearing about this king, this King Jesus who was coming his way and how we are to have our hearts and minds drawn to the kingdom of God, the good news of that kingdom, the gospel itself. And then we looked at again how Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home. And we begin to see the, the flurry of activity to welcome this king. And it was profound that Jesus would want to enter into this tax collector's home. But as we read that text, we read the text this morning, we see that his heart was full of the hope of the gospel, right? That his heart was dining with this king. And so even as we feast again this morning, our hearts get to dine with the king of all grace. And then this morning, we're looking at Zacchaeus's turnaround, what repentance looks like, how his hands now, instead of taking money out of the people's pockets unlawfully in some ways, though he had the, the law on his side in Rome, he was stealing from those people. He is now opening his hands with generosity towards the poor, to those he ripped off and stole from. And that is where we are in this text today as we consider how salvation comes to Zacchaeus' home. And indeed, may he come to us with salvation as we hear his word and abide in his promises. Let's look at verse 1, 1 to 10, chapter 19. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone into be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to the, this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray to him. Gracious Father, we come into your presence because of your great generosity. Because you were willing to son, send your Son the riches of all of your glory and mercy to us, making him poor, so that in Christ we might become rich, who by nature are very, very poor. Would you help us today to see something of the nature and the power and the wonder of your salvation. May you enlarge our hearts to be gracious and loving people in our homes, in our neighborhoods, this community. That you and your gospel, the beauty of your grace, would set us free so that we make much of Jesus and long to see those who are lost found and those who are broken restored, and those who don't have a community be found safe and secure in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we come asking for your help, King Jesus. Help us to hear and see your word and be followers of you as we pick up crosses to follow after you this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a football fan, you know how the rules have changed and are greatly stilted for quarterbacks, right? They are They have every privilege to not get killed these days. It seems, though some still get hurt. You have to go back to the NFL films, right, where you have that 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 deep commentator's voice and you got the sound of Lawrence Taylor just crushing quarterbacks on the field, right? Just those sounds where you see Roger Staubach and Joe Theismann and others just pummeled to the ground, just in total violence, wondering if they would ever get up. And what is the job of those who have watched their quarterback get destroyed, right? The job of a lineman is to go back and pick up the pieces, to pick up literally the man who is down on the ground, to pick him up, though he may very well have a hard time even standing up in the huddle for the next several plays. What a violent game. But I want you to think about this and that imagery. I want you to think about King Jesus as he comes as the king of all glories. He comes from heaven to earth and he comes to be a servant. He comes to be a servant who comes to find lost and broken people. Jesus is God's arms and hands and feet reaching down to lost and broken and disheveled and dispirited people, right? And he reaches down to pick people back up and to give them hope and to save them most of all from themselves and of course the wrath of God against sin and unbelief and brokenness. And again, in this text, we see a God reaching down into the, this man Zacchaeus whose life may look good on the outside according to his wealth, 
maybe even how his household runs, but he is a man who has been found out. He is broken. He has lost many things, the least of which his reputation, as it's been said by many ministers who minister in the South. You know, if you're going to shame or insult a Southerner, you might as well just go ahead and shoot them, right? You'd rather, much rather be shot than shamed in our particular cultural moment. And that's sort of the moment that Zacchaeus, he is hated. He is rejected by people on every side. But people are by nature lost and they need to be found. They need to be made whole. We need to be given the assurance today that today, today is the salvation of the Lord God. Not yesterday, though we can find that in the scriptures. Not tomorrow, though hopefully there will be another day. But today, salvation is here for you and me to behold this Jesus who reaches down and restores broken and lost people. That's why Jesus came. And like Zacchaeus, salvation depends on hearing and being with Jesus, communing with him around his word, in his worship, with his people. And God's salvation forms our minds and it changes our lives. We can see this in the life of Zacchaeus, how his life is changed, how salvation restored him in very unique ways. The three ways I want to look at how he is restored and how we are to be restored and be encouraged as we think about Jesus coming down to pick us back up is this. Jesus restores frauds in the first place. That's what we will see in verse 7 and following. Jesus restores generosity because by nature we are stingy people because of sin. And lastly, we'll see how Jesus restores community. Jesus restores frauds our generosity, and our community. This is how God deals with the curse of sin before us and in our lives. So notice in the first place that today, if salvation has really come, Jesus restores frauds. The curse of the fall is that it makes us disingenuine. The simple term is it makes us fakes. We'd much rather fake it to make it, right, than to be transparent and to be honest. But but Zacchaeus is exposed as one who was a fraud in every sense of the word. But the text tells us, but Jesus was received joyfully by Zacchaeus. He was completely exposed. He was found out. And this was a man who wanted to dine with him. Zacchaeus was exposed as a fraud. He Zacchaeus had chose riches and power for himself. They became his identity. He was a powerful man as a tax collector. If you went against him... He could double your taxes in a New York moment in our, in our language, right? He could double their taxes. He, he could abuse the people of God, which he did. He could continue to extort them as a tax collector. But he was exposed as a fraud by Jesus and by Jesus' kindness we looked at last time. It was the kindness of God that moved not only towards him down the street, but into his very home, into the way he thought about his identity and his life. Zacchaeus undoubtedly saw the ruin of his own accomplishments, the emptiness of being fraudulent in every area of his life before God and with others. See, when you come to meet Jesus, he sees all things. We are laid naked and bare before God, as Hebrews 4 says. There's nothing that God can't see about us. He knows we are idolaters by name. He knows we are fraudulent. He knows how we slight other people and how we are so easily slighted. 
And Zacchaeus is a man who was exposed as a fraud. But that's not only the thing that is going on in this text. We see that the gospel of grace, the gospel of grace exposes spiritual frauds. We read of the response of the religious people in the community in verse 7. And when they saw it, what's the it? Jesus going in to dine with Zacchaeus, going into that house. When they saw it, that is Jesus, they all grumbled. You see, you see grace, the grace of God really is offensive. So be careful. You're Grace Community Church, right? But grace by its very nature is offensive because it's unmerited. There's nothing we can do to earn it, to keep it, and make God give it to us. It's a gift. If grace is really a gift, it can only be received by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they hated that. This entire system which Zacchaeus lived and these religious people lived was based upon a meritorious system. They chose external morality from the outside in. Religion kept people in line so they could keep up with others and appearances and give the appearance that they kept the law of God while breaking the law of God at every single turn. Most of which was undoubtedly neglecting the poor as brought up in Luke's gospel here in even this text. But Jesus' visit with Zacchaeus exposed their immorality from the, from the inside out. Their hatred of Zacchaeus and even Jesus himself shows how they rejected God's mercy and the kind of kingdom they really, really wanted. They wanted a kingdom where they had power and authority and ability to lord themselves over other people. Does that sound familiar with how often we operate in our circles, our families, our friends? The one-upmanship of our life, or maybe even our thinking, they wanted a kingdom that they had power. And they really wanted to be the kings of their own kingdom. And the text tells us they grumbled and complained. You may have seen the movie based upon a book, Catch Me If You Can, with Leonardo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's, who poses as a Pan Am pilot back in the 50s or 60s, I think is the setting, Right. And in that day, you could, you could be a real fraud, and apparently he was. Somehow he was able to fake a pilot's license and even entrust himself to banking institutions as a Pan Am pilot. Got his own idea, would sit on planes, right? Could never fly, had all kinds of excuses, but he was able, this is a fairly true story from the events that I've heard and read, uh, that he was able to go around and, and, and write fraudulent checks everywhere. To the tunes of thousands and thousands of dollars, he was living as a fraud. And uh, you remember the FBI, uh, Tom Hanks, the FBI man, tries to figure out how to catch this fraud. And one of the lines is very simple. He says, it takes a fraud to catch a fraud, right? That's what Tom Hanks says. And that's how he catches uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie. Here, our Heavenly Father knows that we're frauds. And he's okay with that. Interestingly enough, right? He knows exactly where we are. He knows the pretense, the fear, the struggles of our hearts. And yet he pursues us. He comes to catch us. What Jesus' parable is, right, that, that the kingdom of God is like a giant net. And it comes down and gathers up God's people. And God's people are sifted out of the net between the good fish, you might even say the bad fish, but God gathers up his people like fish. And then Jesus says of his disciples, right? I will make you fishers of men. You will go 
You will be a part of my kingdom and you will be used by me to catch the frauds that you were to find the frauds that I'm bringing into my kingdom. It's a beautiful picture of how God pursues us, how he catches us, how he gathers us, even in our fraudulent thinking and life before him. Nothing is hidden from his sight. So the invitation before us today is that you can bring, right, you can bring your unbelief, your contradiction of your heart, your duplicity. It's hard for you to be honest with God. It's very hard. If it's, if it's hard to be honest with God, it's very hard to be honest with people. But the gospel invites us to be honest, to see that salvation comes to those who confess their need of a covering of the hope of salvation that is given to them in Jesus Christ. That Jesus has come to pick you up, even your fraudulent, broken, and idolatrous behavior. See, God's salvation restores frauds like us, just like it restored a fraud like Zacchaeus. The second thing I want us to consider is that Jesus restores, today, Jesus restores generosity. The curse of the fall is that it does make us stingy. Uh, As uh, Brian Regan would say in his comic stand-up routine, we become me monsters when we talk about our life and we talk about our stories, right? You know, that's the man who walked on the moon kind of thing. I got you. Your story is better than my story at the party, right? We become, because of sin, me me monsters. We want to keep our stuff. We want to lord out over our stuff, even when we're 50 and beyond. So we always make fun. I can't believe that little two-year-old would just steal the toy out of his brother's and sister's hands. It's such a selfish thing. And yet, right, we don't have to look at ourselves at 50 and 60. We do the same kinds of things with how we focus upon ourselves and say, we want this. We often make God our cosmic bellhop, right? Rather than a heavenly father who knows that the Bible says, who knows how to give good gifts to his children, we often seek to be me monsters. And Zacchaeus in verse 8 says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, he says, Zacchaeus experiences God's generosity. That God would send his son, that this was the anointed Messiah, that God's generosity came in the form of forgiveness. And it moves Zacchaeus to stand and confess something powerfully, which we forget. Jesus as the Lord. He's not saying, like a lot of other religious leaders, and maybe even some of his disciples at other times, he doesn't say you're a good rabbi teacher. He doesn't say you're just a friend of sinners. He doesn't say he's a wise prophet. A wise prophet. He says, you are the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth and the seas and all that is in them. Right? So this is a picture of, of confession before the generous offering of God's grace to him. It was, a, it was a moment of great change. He had moved his allegiance away from his identity and himself to the allegiance to the kingdom of God. And that's why we confess Jesus as Lord Because we know in Philippians chapter 2, every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that Jesus is in fact the Lord, the sovereign over heaven and earth. Zacchaeus experiences God's generosity, generosity and he sees God's character and reputation in Jesus. Once he lived in dishonor before God, now he sees himself as the covenant people of God that that Jesus' reputation... Jesus' righteousness indeed becomes his righteousness. 
that Jesus is his Lord and he will walk after his Lord as his people seek to walk after their Lord. Zacchaeus experiences God's generosity. Furthermore, Zacchaeus becomes a catalyst for God's generosity. Generosity. What does he say in the following verse? The half of my goods I give to the poor. I will restore that four times for whoever I have stolen from, extorted, took money away. Zacchaeus, for the first time in his life, saw himself as among the poor. That's why it is so important for God's people to know poor people, to know of our own spiritual poverty. And Zacchaeus identified with the physically poor around himself with his own spiritual poverty. For the first time, he had eyes to see the king, the king of those who are the king of uh, the one who is over the poor and needy, and he had compassion on them. Zacchaeus's repentance was about restoration was about restoring things that he had done wrong for his own glory. You see, he's reflecting his own experience with Jesus, right? He had been restored back, as we will see in a moment, to the family of God. Zacchaeus does not see this as an act of a fitting in religious Jewish life. Like in his day, simply trying to take care of the poor by pushing them away and giving them an alm and moving on. But he saw himself as a misfit along with them who he had mistreated, who he did not love. But when the love and kindness of Jesus met him, he was a changed man forever. His life was forever changed and he reflects that in how he acts, right? Can you imagine those who were actually defrauded by, Jesus, by Zacchaeus when, they, when he walks back to their house? And, hey, it's Zacchaeus, I'm here today. And that would have been, does anybody have a double-barrel shotgun? Because I think he's going to ask us for more money and steal from us again. Hey, I'm, I'm here, Zacchaeus, I, I, I'm here to speak with you today. I've come to restore that which I've stolen from you fourfold. Man, are you crazy? What's wrong with you? What has gotten into you? Jesus had gotten into him, right? And so he goes and shows himself to be to the people, the religious people. They would hear the stories. No, undoubtedly, this man went back to what take care of the poor, like we're supposed to. And he restored those he extorted fourfold. What has gotten into from religious to irreligious alike? People could not deny the power of the gospel of the kingdom at work in Zacchaeus's life. What motivates generosity? What motivates generosity in our lives? Is it not generosity? Is it not the kindness of God that leads us to kindness? Is it not the riches of God's grace that allow us, allows us to be gracious? See, generosity cannot flow from a stingy, graceless heart. No. Generosity must come from the heart, a heart that is met with Jesus, that has been changed by him. Repentance isn't just acknowledging we are frauds. That's not enough. We acknowledge that we are frauds, that we demonstrate by our actions that we have received the kindness and generosity of God in the gospel of grace. Is there something in your life that gets you really excited and ramped up? What is it that just... You start thinking about on Mondays and you can't wait to experience something that week. What is it? What are your affections, right? 
What gets you excited about life? And how long does that excitement or does that desire last? And I would say, can you tap into that excitement and joy and ask yourself, can I find that kind of satisfaction and joy in Christ? Can I find that he is so generous and loving and kind and patient that it actually leads me to being patient and being kind and seeking to be generous with those who don't treat us well? The church of all places is a place that lives out of the sheer kindness and generosity of God's hospitality and his grace. You see, salvation restores generosity towards others. Lastly, I want us to notice that today we believe that Jesus restores community. He brings us back into the family of God if we've never been or we have wandered far off like in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, which would be quite apropos even in light of Zacchaeus's restoration. Jesus restores community. The curse of the fall is that it isolates us from God primarily But of course, it isolates us from others immediately. The text says, Jesus says, what an announcement for you and me. But today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. Man, I don't know if you can appreciate this, but this is beautiful language. From a kid who grew up in a broken home and never went to church to call you my family. Somehow, I don't know you that well, and you probably don't want to know me that well, but somehow because of Jesus, we are the family of God. And don't ever, ever, if I could use stronger language, I would without getting in trouble. Don't ever, ever take that for granted. Do you know how many people in Cordova are so isolated that they haven't spoken with anybody outside their work for the entire week? I I planted a church I met tons of lonely people. And you know a lonely person when you meet them because you ask them how they're doing and they can't stop talking because they haven't talked to anybody for weeks about anything significant in their life. And the church ought to be a place where we welcome people in to hear their story and for them to hear ours. We take the church for granted, don't we? But today salvation has come to this house. Jesus reveals a community which begins, we might say, in the home. This house, that is Zacchaeus' house, had been turned into a home of salvation, of grace, of celebration. We could say along with Deuteronomy 5 and 6, if we know those Old Testament passages, what are we to be as the people of God? That whenever we enter into our homes and whenever we leave or rise up from our homes, we're to write the word of the Lord upon the doorpost. We're to hang them upon our heads. We're to talk with our children as we walk down the way in Deuteronomy 5 and 6. We're to celebrate what? The salvation, the greatness, the goodness of the Lord. Salvation had come to this home. That Jesus desired residents to, and to be worshipped in this home and in that place. Do you believe that about your homes today? Oh, I know your homes are messy. You have that closet like we do. You know, the closet that nobody can go into because if they pull that door open, all that stuff's coming out or you'll be found out to be a fraud. We thought you were so clean and tidy. We just thought you guys had it all together. But even your cleanest homes, they're not clean enough, right? You can never get your home clean enough. You can never get all the repairs in order. But do you believe that God wants to come and dwell 
that he wants to be worshipped and delighted in your homes with all the chaos and the messes that are worth making? Do you believe that? Can you celebrate that, that God, Jesus, desires to be in your home and celebrated because of all that he's done for you? How do you view your house? Do you view your house as a sanctuary like Gail Pittman would like you to believe in your ceramic products that she's passed on to you? Or do you believe that your home is a servant's table where you can gather around and you can make a mess and maybe all the eating rules are off the table, but you can eat and enjoy each other's company and presence? You know, I have learned living in DeSoto County, the reason why the service is so terrible there, and I hope there's nobody that serves in DeSoto County. I love you. I'm not speaking of you. But I realize that most of the young people that have been graduating with my kids for the last four years have never eaten a family meal with forks and knives around the table. So how in the world would they ever learn how to be a servant at a local restaurant? Do you realize that the privilege you have of having a home and inviting Jesus to come in and dwell and eat with you? What a privilege. Surely that's the privilege and excitement that Zacchaeus had. Today, the grace of God is about restoring and growing relationships with others in Christ. And as the church... We are the very house that he is building, right? That the world is the world is really not interested in community, right? You understand this. And you got now you got two things you got to deal with, Ashley. So you got grace in your name and you got community. So somehow those both have to be authentic and offensive. Otherwise you can't be the church that you're named after. You can't do all the things that he just said when you began worship today. But do you realize that the world talks about community? Community is like the speak of the day. But most people really don't want the kind of community that that Zacchaeus experienced and that Jesus invites us into. People by nature do not want to be transparent. They don't want to be very honest. And they certainly by nature do not want to be sacrificial. But we, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are called to be those people in the world who are transparent, who are honest, and who live sacrificially. Jesus reveals a community which begins in our homes. It began in Zacchaeus' home. Lastly, we see that Jesus reveals a community gathered to Abraham. And this is amazing language. You might miss this, so I'm going to emphasize it again. Jesus reveals a gathered community to Abraham. Since, he says, this is Zacchaeus he's speaking of, since he also is a son of Abraham, they would have rolled their eyes. Everybody held on to Father Abraham. Everybody wanted to be known to be a part of his lineage because that's where the promise began in Genesis 12.1. And for Jesus to announce that this tax collector, this rebel, this extortionist, this fraud was now the son of Abraham, surely was part of the reason why they nailed Jesus to the cross. Because of what he was announcing about Zacchaeus and about sinners who come to find themselves safe and secure in him. The day Zacchaeus, that day Zacchaeus was stored, was restored to his country. He became a countryman in the truest sense. He was of the real righteous seed of Abraham's offspring. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter three in Romans chapter five, all of Abraham's offspring are his spiritual seed, are the people of the promise who receive the covenant of God's grace and the covenant of God's kindness towards them. He receives that. As the inheritance of thousands and thousands of years of promises, he is one of those people. He is one of the sand upon the seashore or the stars that were named in the heavens, right, that that Abraham looked up to that day. 
He is one of the privileged saints of God who now stands in the presence of God with his people. God is gathering a community to restore a community of people to the world. He gathers us as a community to be the church to the world. And people who love him and worship him are the church. He desires to gather both the physically and spiritually poor and the lost and the blind in this world. That is our calling. That's our missional calling. Because it's what Jesus said in verse 10. He keeps us on the hook. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You and me. So we might become sons and daughters of Abraham. We were in Chattanooga a couple months ago to get away. And we were eating uh, lunch in a downtown restaurant in Chattanooga. And coming out of that, we saw that there was a big homeless community in Chattanooga. And there was a man, uh, African-American man, who approached me. And, and, the, and the group, there's four of us. So he came alongside and says, do you have anything? I said, I have, I have nothing. I don't even carry cash. My, all my kids have stole it. Uh, I, had, I had all the excuses, right? I'd never carry cash. But... But we struck up a conversation with him, and he was a, a dear, sweet man. Um, a little confused, but not, not that confused, and began to tell about his story, and his story connected to the church. And so he began talking about his story of how he wasn't connected with the church currently and some of the issues that went on. And I was listening, and as preachers like to do, they talk too much. And so I kind of like tried to finish his sentences and his, his own story, by the way, because he wasn't talking fast enough. And I was a little unnerved by a homeless man, just like you are. Why is that, I wonder? But anyway, as I'm sitting there talking to him, he stops me and he puts his hand, puts his finger up like this. He goes, preacher, if you will just be quiet, I will tell you the story. And I said, yes, sir. Let me hear that story. It was a great reminder of how I'm terrible. We are terrible at listening to other people's stories. And then we gathered arms and we prayed with this man and he prayed better than most teaching elders I've ever met in the PCA, filled with scripture, filled with a heart to meet somebody he had never met before. It was so encouraging. But it was a reminder that we as God's people often quit listening for people's stories. Grace community, are you really listening to the people in these pews? You might have already heard, you know how many times I've asked the same story of the same person I've known for 20 years and I always find out more about that story in year 10, 12, 14, 16, right? See, the stories we're only willing to unfold over time when we trust and we know each other. Is this a place where people can share their stories that they receive the ministry of your presence and your listening ear because people are hurting, they're broken, and they are lost? If you do this, you will be a powerful reflection of a restored community in Christ. Don't you think that Zacchaeus will be talking about this day with Jesus for the rest of his life? Don't you think he'll have a different take, a different angle, a different understanding of, 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 of Jesus for the rest of his days? Don't you think he'll be talking to his aunts, his uncles, and all the other kinfolk that will be around him for the rest of his life? Telling his story, listening to their stories, longing for them to hear the story of them receiving salvation in their home. How about us as a church? Jesus restores community. 
There's a lot of talk and fear-mongering, right, politicking in our world about immigrants, but there was more of this about a year or two ago. We were talking about Muslims all the time. Muslims this and Muslims that. Sort of a hostile way of looking at the world. A World Magazine article that was written a few years, years ago by Warren Cole Smith interviewed a 25-year missionary, David Garrison, who had been working with Muslims for his entire missionary career. And he began to document in his findings something going on in the Muslim community, a phenomenon. He said, quote-unquote, there is a revival in the Muslim world, stated in the article. Garrison believes that, in, that some two to seven million Muslims in the next two decades will come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is astounding. Now, you might say, well, you know, two to seven million. I mean, Wilkie, you know there's like seven billion people on this planet. I mean, that's a drop in the bucket, we would say. Oh, we might say that of Zacchaeus' life too, right? Numerically, this may appear very small and insignificant, like Zacchaeus' stature, like his standing, like his home. But like Zacchaeus, Muslims are meeting Jesus and communing with him. And they can stand before the Lord Jesus as the sons of Abraham. You see, what God is up to is that he is reaching out with generous hands to the Zacchaeuses and the Ishmaels of the world to gather his church. And he ain't asking your permission. He's going to do it with or without you. But wouldn't it be better that it be with you? God's hospitality moves our hearts towards Jesus and towards others. Today, understanding this kind of salvation keeps us in Christ. It keeps us going. It keeps us giving. It keeps us investing in the kingdom of God, the gospel of his grace. May God help us to have eyes to see his kingdom, to have hearts filled with his love, and to have hands that would be generous to each other in this room and to the community and the world in which we live. Let's pray together. King Jesus, you have given us marching orders once again. Today, salvation has come to this place. You have been announced. You are the king. You've put us on notice. You welcome us in. You're a foot washer of sinners. You're a gracious, kind savior. You welcome in the most fraudulent, pompous, and arrogant people in the world. People just like us. As we come to the table, may we celebrate that you've welcomed us once again through your poverty that we might receive the riches of this means of grace. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.